Well, this is going to be the the last question that we do um, for now in terms of the basics series. Just thinking, you know, seven questions and responses uh, is a lot. And I talked to you about how I'm kind of trying to gear this to every age, but to where a three-year-old could understand it and take it in. And so far, these, I feel like seven, this will be our seventh question and response is plenty probably for like a full year of Bible reading with your kids. <laughs> you know, just um, as you read through the Old Testament, talking through sin, you know, remember we talked about sin. What is sin? Sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. Sin is like an animal crouching at the door ready to devour you. And I missed the first uh, part of that one. Sin is loving the darkness more than the light. And as you read through the Old Testament, you know, we talk, you know, uh, my daughter is three, and we talk about it. What do you think is going to happen? Is this person trusting God and, you know, predicting, well, they're probably going to be devoured by their sin unless they repent, you know, things like that. And you come to expect, yeah, that's exactly what happens over and over in the Old Testament. Um, and there's many stories to illustrate all these different um truths that we we looked at so i think you know there's so much more that really is part of the basics but i think we'll just stop at seven this time and maybe in a year add a few more um a year from now or something like that um and so that's kind of where i think we'll stop i may do a review kind of a review message one more message that just kind of reviews but this will be the last new uh, question so last week we talked about what does Jesus' blood do? And I'll just review that one too. Uh, what does Jesus' blood do? It washes us white as snow. It, I'm getting these out of order, but hopefully I'll get them all. It washes us white as snow. It shows us how much God loves us. It frees us from our sin. And I'm missing one. Gives us eternal life. Yep. <laughs> you guys know it better than I do. <laughs> My daughter knows it better than I do. <laughs> um, so that was last week, and this week is going to be kind of the response to that. You know, so if you think about the big picture, we started out with why did God make us, and then we went to who is God, what is sin, and then last week was really what is the gospel, asked in a little bit different way, and then this week is going to be the response. So here's the question. What is my response to forgiveness? What is my response to forgiveness? There's a lot of ways that we can answer this. What is my response to forgiveness? Um, so again, we just have to, there's so many ways to answer this, but I tried to narrow it down. Um, and here's the, here's the answer for this week, and it's based on two verses, and we'll look at those. What is my response to forgiveness? Take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So let's look at the verses here, starting in uh, Matthew 16. If you want to turn there, Matthew 16. Yeah, yeah, I'll repeat it here while you're turning there. What is my response to forgiveness? Take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, walking in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. I'll just read it one more time. What is my response to forgiveness? Take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So let's look here in Matthew 16. This first part of the answer comes up in a lot of the Gospels, all the Synoptic Gospels. So we'll start in verse 24. So this is just after Jesus had told the disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And he says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll read you the same account from Luke here. Just You don't need to turn there, but it, it's just a little different. Worth reading them both. Jesus here in, in Luke says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So, I wanted to get that one in there as well. Um, it has that word daily. So that's the first piece of the answer is, what is our response to forgiveness? It's to deny ourselves. Well, it's to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let's look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And this is the second half of the answer. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you hear the second half there of the answer. What is my response to forgiveness? Take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So that's just kind of a restatement of what I think Jesus is saying when he says, take up my cross daily and follow him. So there's a lot here that we could say about what is our response? What do, how do we live our life once we've been forgiven? And this is the best answer that I, that I could come up with in terms of summarizing some verses that helps me most day to day. And there's a lot of ways we could answer it. But we want to live out the implications of the gospel. You know, the gospel is how we're saved. The cross, what Jesus did, his work, his blood, is how we're saved. But it's also the pattern for our life. Because we were forgiven by costly love through Jesus' death on the cross, that we imitate Jesus and live lives of costly love in response. So we see what he did for us, and then we go out and we do the same thing. We take up our cross, and we walk in love as he loved us and gave himself for us. We, we receive grace, we give grace. We love, 
he, we were loved by him, we go out and love, even when it's costly. And so we've actually talked about this kind of big idea before in Philippians. We spent kind of two weeks on it. And I talked about it in terms of the word I used, I think, was cruciformity, that we're being conformed, not only um, transformed by the cross through his death, but we're being conformed to the image of the cross. You know, we're living out, we're taking up our own cross. We're reliving the death of Jesus in little ways in our life when we show grace, when we show love, when we love people who don't love us back. In all those ways, we're following after him, taking up our cross. And so, because we've already talked about this, I'm going to try and present it in a little bit of a different way that hopefully will help you remember it. Um, but this is really important. I want to start with this clarification. We don't want to confuse last week's message and this week's message. We don't want to confuse forgiveness or justification with our response to that. We, we can't confuse it. It can't, and we can't combine it either. Um, when we meet somebody who is, you know, weighed down with guilt for sin, the response is not take up your cross and follow Jesus and live like Jesus. The response first has to be be forgiven by Jesus, because otherwise um, there's, there'll still be guilt. We need forgiveness first before we can we can take up our cross. We need forgiveness. Um, t- following Jesus in your daily life doesn't earn you forgiveness. So we can't confuse these. And we can't combine them. We can't get to where we can't see the distinction. Where it's like, well, I'm not really sure exactly where the line is drawn. I'm not sure, you know, maybe it's, you know, faithless works, you know, both, you know, they work kind of together. No, we've got to be able to see that because of what Jesus did, my response is this. But that doesn't earn me anything. Jesus' death and blood washes me, cleans me, gives me eternal life. He loved me before I, I did anything. I'm not earning his love. All that comes as a gift. It's by grace. And we're not earning it. So we don't want to confuse it. We don't want to combine it. And we, don't, we definitely don't want to reverse it. right? We don't want to say that, well, you live your whole life trying to be like Jesus, and then at the end you can be forgiven. No, that's not how it works. It's just the opposite. You know, it's not trying to follow Jesus and then at the end being forgiven. It's every step that we take as Christians on the path of following Jesus is a response to what Jesus did. None of it is earning. None of it is meriting. Um, none of it is causing God to do any, give us any anything. You know, the... Um, I don't know if you've ever read the, some of you maybe grew up Roman Catholic, but the Roman Catholic Catechism, this, isn't, this is not right, it says, we can merit for ourselves the graces necessary for salvation. Okay, um, It's in the, I don't have all the numbers memorized, but it's in like the early 2000s, I don't know if they call them verses or sections or whatever, um, that's a section on justification, but it's saying you merit the grace, and we're saying no, you, you don't merit grace. Um, you don't earn it. It's, it's a free gift. You know, Romans chapter 9, actually I might be getting that, getting the reference wrong here, but Romans says, if it's by grace, it's no longer by works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So you cannot earn a gift. 
You can't earn grace. We can't merit it. It's a free gift. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And then in response to having all our sins forgiven, we follow him. We imitate him. That doesn't earn us anything. So I just want to be really clear on that. Um, And, you know, the most, whenever um, I share with people, a lot of people say, well, then why obey, you know? And the answer is, because we love Jesus, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you want to earn my love, you'll obey my commandments. We're, we obey not because we're getting anything uh, back in terms of forgiveness or anything like that. We're obeying because of being forgiven and our love towards him um, as a result of that. And so just wanted to make that really, really clear to start that we're not trying. I don't want to confuse these. And there's actually a little bit of hesitancy um, in general in this way of talking about your life as taking up your cross and and the shape of our life, the, the story of our life is kind of reliving the story of Jesus. And the reason there's a bit of hesitancy is because it's kind of been combined or reversed in church history, especially like, um, or twisted in church history, um, especially like in, kind of in the Middle Ages or um, things like that where they would take this idea of suffering uh, in service to Jesus, and they would twist it and make it weird, you know, and they would, you know, whip themselves and different things like that. And so there's a hesitancy to say, you know, we, part of our life and part of imitating Jesus is entering into suffering, um, but we're not saying that. We're not saying that you p- put suffering on yourself and that's that's good. We're just saying as you live out your life, you're imitating the love of Jesus, and that will be costly. When you love sinners, it's going to cost you um, and as we follow Jesus, there is going to be a cost. So this idea is really important, I think, just to understand the Bible, but understand Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, even Peter. They see their life through the life of Jesus. And so we talked about this. Let's look in Philippians here. Let's start in Philippians 2. We, and I'm going to try and explain it in just a little bit different way. And I our projector is still down, so I'm going to get a whiteboard here. Okay, so this is where I'm going to explain it just a little differently. It should sound pretty familiar because when we went through Philippians, we already talked about this. But the way I'm going to explain it today um, is totally based on um, this uh, guy named Paul Miller. He wrote a book describing... This concept, um, I showed you the book last time, called Cruciformity, which is talking about how Paul saw his life through reliving um, and following Jesus in his death on the cross for others, costly love for others. Um, And so this other guy, Paul Miller, wrote basically the exact same book, just a little bit different. And he called it the J-curve, the J-curve. So his book's called The J-curve by by Paul Miller. It's It's good. Um, So I'm going to explain it that way. Same idea, just a little bit different. So, Okay, hopefully you can see that. Uh, It's just a big J, so. Okay. So let's look here and see the life of the, what what we're going to call the J curve or um, in the life of Christ. Let's start here in Philippians 2. We'll just start in verse 1 and we'll come circle back around. 
If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So here we're seeing, he's saying, have the same mind that Christ had. Well, what is it? And we're going to call it today the J-curve. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So, really, with Jesus, it might be a U-curve, because he's way up here. Um, he's God. But he humbles himself, and he takes on the form of a servant. He becomes a man. Okay, then let's keep going. Not only did he become a man, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So then that's, you know, you see the J is like the dip of humiliation um, or of suffering. And so he started out becoming a man that uh, he humbled himself, and then even further he died for us. He humbled himself even further. But then the result of that is, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see that he started out humbling himself by becoming a man at all and then being rejected and dying on a cross. But that's not where it ended. He was resurrected, right? And so that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is resurrection and exaltation. So there's a temporary humbling, um, and then that goes even deeper, but that it results in uh, resurrection. And this is the pattern that Paul says we should have this same mind in ourselves and this should be the pattern for our life. And Jesus says that same thing really um, when he says take up your cross and follow me. Live the same way I'm living. And so let's look in Philippians 3 at some of these examples Paul gives. Um, so he takes this idea of what Christ did, humbling himself um, and then even more deeply humbling himself, but it doesn't stop there. He's resurrected. And it results in in glory for him. God doesn't leave him leave him there. So let's look in Philippians three here. It'll be a little easier if I if we had the projector, but that's okay. I'll, um, Okay, so I'm just going to point as I read this. Let's look first at the really at the very end of two um, first, I guess. Epaphroditus, um, and then we'll look at three. Epaphroditus is an example at right after he gives that example of having this mind in, that Christ had. He gives an example, Epaphroditus, and so let's read two twenty-five through the end of chapter 2. 
So we'll all just point out the parts of the J-curve as we go through there. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So that's, a, that's like the first humbling, right? That Epaphroditus left where he lived, and he became a messenger. He took money to Paul, it looks like, and a minister to his needs. So that was probably giving him the money, but also probably serving him. Um, and so he's humbling himself there, but then it gets even deeper, deeper in the J-curve. 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death. So then that's, he almost died. Not only did he, you know, serve and leave this long trip to, to minister to Paul, he almost died um, because he got sick. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, that lest I should have sorrow upon his sorrow. 28, I am the more eager to send him therefore to you, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So you see this um, humbling, and then further humbling, and then the result is honor, right? He's saying honor him. And this falls on the heels of this, it's just a living example of living out the life of Jesus in a little imitation as a response to what he did. And Epaphroditus, he gives as an example. And then in chapter 3, Paul does the same thing except for his life. And this is starting in 3, verse 7. So Paul starts here. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's, he, he talks before this about all his boasts, all his glory in Judaism, and he's giving all that up. So here's this beginning of the humbling. He's giving up all this that he had earned through his work and study and um, reputation with Judaism. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So he's saying, not only did I give all this up, I'm entering into the sufferings of Christ. And um, he's talking about, you know, in the context of Philippians, like, you know, he's in prison, and so he, he doesn't know if he's going to die, and he's, he's wondering if he's going to die. So he's saying, even in death, I'm becoming like him. Why am I becoming like him? Why do I want to know him in his sufferings? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So he's seeing the humbling, but he's, he's looking forward to the upside of the J-curve, which is... Though I'm humbling myself, and though I even might die, I'm gonna just as I know Christ in His sufferings, I'm gonna know Him in His resurrection, and there's gonna be a resurrection for me. Verse, um, last verse here, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so you see that He's seeing His life in this J curve, and there's lots of examples of that. I think we went through like one, two, three, four, five, six. Went through seven examples last time we talked took us two weeks to go through 
Paul um, giving us how Christ showed costly love and then how Paul called us to do the same. So I'll just run through those. I won't read you all the verses because that would take us the rest of the time. But love, costly love, we can humble ourselves. It can be love that drives us in this downward uh, humiliation. Grace, so giving people more than they deserve, what they don't deserve. Um, Sacrifice, self-giving, so giving yourself. Suffering, self-humbling, and obedience. And you can kind of, if you think about it, you can hear a lot of those in this passage in in Philippians about Christ. And so this is what we're going to call the J-curve. And it's simply just a way to summarize and to think about, as we live our Christian life in response to forgiveness, we live out the life of Jesus in imitation. Little, you know, not all of us are going to die on a cross, obviously. But when we serve others, when we give ourselves, when we show grace, when we forgive, when we obey and it's costly, all those are ways we're looking at Jesus and saying, I'm going to imitate his costly love through grace, through self-giving, through obedience, even when it's costly. And I think this is really an important concept to see, like, the pattern of our life, you know, and expectation, right? To see... What do I expect? Um, what, am I, what is my life going to be like? And then also to make sense of a lot of these verses that are kind of confusing. So I'll give you an example here. Now, imagine, let me ask you this. Is this the kind of thing you would say? You know, what situation would you say this? This is what Paul says in Colossians. Ready? Now I rejoice in my sufferings, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church. Colossians 1.24. So how often do you say that? Yeah, I just, I just want you guys to know, like, you know, any announcements? Yeah, here, pass the mic to me. Yeah, we're, I'm going through this thing, and, and you know, I, I know that I'm rejoicing in this suffering because I, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is the church. Would you say that? <laughs> it's like, if it wasn't in the Bible, you know, it's like, whoa. That seems crazy, right? But what he's saying makes perfect sense when we see that Paul is viewing his life through this taking up his cross daily and following Jesus. He's following him in his costly love. He's following him in his humiliation and in his suffering and even in his death. Why? Because that's what, one, Christ called him to, and two, because he sees that just as I share in the sufferings of Christ, I'm going to share in the resurrection of Christ. That that's not the end. Death's not the end. The suffering, the difficulty is not the end. That in the same way that God used the cross for good, he's going to use my uh, difficulty, suffering, uh, self-giving, costly obedience, costly love. He's going to use that for life for me and for the church, for others. Okay? Um, or Peter. I'll give you a verse from Peter that kind of has this idea. My beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So don't be surprised when you're going down the downward slope of the J-curve. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you see, don't be surprised when you're going down here. Rejoice because you know you're going to share in his resurrection too. See, see the connection in your life to that, but also see the pattern of it. It doesn't stop there. 
It's not going to just go down and down and down. It, it's, not a, it's not an L curve, right? It's not just like down and then you just stay down. There's a, it goes back up. There's a resurrection. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So that's 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. So you kind of see this idea. And why is this so important? I mean, I think it's important because there's a lot of reasons. One, it's, it's, it's in the Bible so much. And um, Paul Miller, you know, I'd have to actually go through and count all the verses. Sometimes you get in trouble saying how many times things come up in the Bible without verifying it because... You know, I've read different quotes. It's like, well, I actually I think that comes up more than that, or, or whatever. But so take this with a grain of salt because I haven't counted this myself. But Paul Miller in his book says that Jesus talks about uh, Paul, sorry, talks about the J curve more than he talks about justification by faith, which I'd have to go through and count and think about it myself. But we can definitely say for sure that this comes up a lot all throughout the writings of Paul and uh, Peter and others, and even in Christ's life, he's talking about following him, taking up our cross and following him. So this is important as we live out a Christian life. And actually, I feel like what Aaron shared was really good, like best introduction I could ever think of. Like, what is the pattern of the Christian life, you know? He's talking about, here's this guy, um, and a lot. I have a friend um, who's a missionary in India, and he t- tells stories similar to that where uh, a lot of times, man, it's so sad. All the martyrs that he knows personally were, were wives. It's just really sad. Um, but he knows a couple similar to that where it was a, a lot of times Muslims um, and they're ashamed of their wife becoming a Christian and um, they ended up being killed. And so he's... This is not uncommon, you know, what, what Aaron was sharing about Nigeria. It's like it happens in India, too. And there's people that, you know, that live out this J-curve. And in many ways, we live out the J-curve in little ways. But we don't want to be surprised, right? That we don't want to go through life thinking, I'm going to become a Christian and it's going to be a straight line up, you know. Everything's going to get better and better and better and better. Because what God actually wants for us is to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus, and to serve Jesus, right? Remember, why did God make me? To serve Him, to be like Him, and be with Him all my days. And if you have a view of, of what that means in the Christian life, to serve God, to be like God, and to be with God, is, is going to be happy all the time, everything goes great, and um, everything you do succeeds just like you planned, you're going to be really disappointed, right? Because what actually God's plan for your life is that you know Jesus, and what that means is, as you live your Christian life, you're going to be going down. You're going to be going down the Jacob. You're going to be humbling yourself. You're going to be serving others, even when it hurts. And, but it doesn't stop there. You know, there's resurrection. That though maybe, maybe you get to see it here and now, or maybe it's like what Aaron shared with the guy in Nigeria that there was a resurrection. We didn't get to see that part, but there was a special crown, right, for that lady. Um, a, a martyr's crown for living for Jesus even when it costs. And this is the way our life is now. And the comfort is that that's, Jesus is there with us. And that's what Paul's saying. And that's what um, Peter's saying too, that you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. You're not alone in it. 
that you're with God. God will be there with you. I mean, think about the, the idea of taking up your cross and following Jesus. You see all the pieces of serve God. He's, that, when we love others in a costly way, so walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, when we love others, we're serving God. But loving others in this life is costly. And so as we love others, we're serving Christ. So we take up our cross, we're serving Christ. We're serve God and we're being like God because we're following in his footsteps. We're loving people when it costs. Just we're looking at the example of Jesus and we're trying to be like him. So we're serving God or being like God and we're going to be with God. As, we, as you're going down the J-curve and you're going down and down and down and then eventually you know, you're going up, in all that time, God's there with you. And the reality is, is that Jesus purchased this for us. Jesus purchased this for us on the cross. and I'll just read you a couple of verses that highlight this idea that when, as, we, as we enter into this, we're serving God, we're being like God, and we're being with God. If anyone serves me, Jesus says in John, John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You can just hear all the pieces there. Like, if anyone serves me, he's going to go where I went. He's going to do what I do. He's going to be where I am. Where was Jesus? He was loving people even when it was costly. And he was doing it in his whole life. He was going down deeper, deeper, deeper. But then he was resurrected. As we're servants of God, we're with God. We do the things that Jesus did. And he's there with us. We're going to be with him. I'll read you another verse that shows that as we love, we're serving God. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why I wanted to make sure that this answer, you know, what's my response to forgiveness, has walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. As we walk in love, that summarizes the plan for God for our whole life that God has for us is to love, to love God and to love others. And as we walk in love, um, we're fulfilling what he asks us to do. We're serving. In this way, we serve one another. Not only that, not only are we serving God, we're like God. Ephesians 5, we already read that. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's the shape of Christ's life as he loved others and gave himself for us, as we imitate him? It's not all an upward, always upward, not like stairs. You know, you're always getting a little bit higher. It's a J-curve. It's going down. It's humbling. It's costly. It's, it hurts. But it does. there is a resurrection. And not only that, we're with God as we... As we follow Christ, as we take up our cross daily, we love others even when it's costly. Um, we're with God, and, and that same verse shows that in, in John 12. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If we're, if we're on this, we can know Christ there with us. I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to honor you, God. I'm trying to serve those Love those who don't love me back. I'm trying to serve you even when it hurts. I'm trying to do the right thing even though I know I'm going to get blowback for it. I'm, and then you can know that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And he's, going to, he's there with you. We want to be willing to 
go down for love for God as we serve him. And as we do, he'll be with us. And notice, you know, like we read in, in, in Philippians 2, it says, I want to read you just one verse here from Philippians 2 and remind you. It says, have this mind, this mind of Christ, the way he, he humbled himself um, and further humbled himself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, have this mind, but it's already yours. Like you have this in Christ. If there's, like he started out the chapter, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being of the same mind. That this mindset, the J-curve mindset, the idea, the mindset of cruciformity, the taking up your cross daily as, as you follow Jesus, in all those things, the mind This mindset is yours in Christ. He purchased it for you. He gave you his spirit to empower you. There's encouragement in Christ to do it. You look at him, it's like, wow, this was hard. And you look at his life and you see how how difficult through the gospels it was to love people who didn't love him back, to uh, serve and die for people who literally mocked and spit on him. That we can look at that and see... That's an encouragement to press on, to go forward, that even though it's costly, move forward uh, for, the, for the good of others and for the glory of God. Have this same mind. Any participation in the Spirit. Think about this. What was the life of the most spiritful man like? Was it always getting better and better and better and better? Everything he did was just, everyone responded so good and everyone loved it? No, it wasn't. You know, Jesus, the the. Spirit without measure. His life was shaped like this. It's not what I would expect. You know, if you were going to write a hero story, you know, about the, the godliest man ever, I wouldn't think to shape the story like this where it goes down and down and down. It gets, keeps getting worse and worse and worse. That's the way that it is in this life. And so we want to look for opportunities to love others, but know going in that it's going to be costly. Um... It's not going to be easy. And I'll tell you a story from that Paul Miller told to just kind of illustrate this. So we need to look, through the, look for these patterns in our life. Look for the existing things that are going on um, that fit this pattern and find encouragement there. But then also look for opportunities to serve, knowing you know, this is going to be costly. So Paul Miller tells this story. He has, he has, a, wife, he has a daughter that's disabled, severely disabled, and I guess Joni Erickson Tata has a camp for disabled parents and disabled kids and kind of minister to them. Well, he told this story how they went to that. And there's volunteers there who take time off of work and then they pay money um, actually to be volunteers to serve others and they help fund this camp or whatever. So you, he met this volunteer named Kathy, his, his wife did. And so you see the J-curve, right? Like she takes off work, she actually pays to go to this camp to spend a week serving in the kitchens or whatever um, to serve these people with children with disabilities. And so there's the downward uh, start of the J-curve. Well, what happened was then somebody made an accusation against this lady, Kathy, and said she said something uh, slanderous about this other person. And um, she's like, no, I didn't. I don't remember saying anything. And so then suddenly there's this big investigation against Kathy, who's one of the, who took off work and paid to be there and serve others. 
and, every, and he said about half the camp knew about it, which is really sad. And so then people are kind of looking at Kathy with like suspicion and like, are you mean? Are you, you know, are you unloving? And so then what started out to be an opportunity to serve others costly, it went even deeper than she wanted it to, right? And people are looking at her with suspicion. She's having to answer these, all these hard questions. People are like kind of avoiding her. And that he encouraged her. She was like weeping and stuff because you can imagine how hard that would be. Um, and he was just encouraging her with the J-curve. It's like, you came, you thought you were going to serve and people were going to be thankful, and it was the opposite. You came and you served and people, not only, you know, some of them weren't even thankful, they wish you weren't even here, uh, apparently, and um, said something, you know, a negative about you that wasn't true. And so he just encouraged her, this is what it was like for Jesus. And there's going to be a resurrection. You don't need to worry or try and um, make it work out. You, you know, at that point, it was out of her control. And that enter in and have fellowship with Jesus, trust him, and know that this is, this is what life is like. And so I feel like in our lives, that really is a good picture of things that happen in our life, you know, that I'm sure there's things in your life where you started, you decided, you know what, this is going to be difficult. I'm going to, I'm going to go down the J curve a little bit. I'm going to give up some time or I'm going to take in this foster kid and we know it's going to be hard, but we're going to do it out of love or parenting. You know, it's like we want to have kids and, and it's going to be hard, but we're going to do it and um, we're thankful to do it. And then suddenly you start going down the J curve and then it, suddenly you're like, I didn't mean to go down this far. I just wanted to go down like this much. I just wanted to give, I just wanted to give like a little bit of time, and then it turned into a whole day or a whole week or a whole year, or it's way harder than you thought. Um, and I don't know about your job, different jobs, but I've had jobs I know where the better job you do, you don't get paid anymore, but the more work you get. And so it's like you do a good job, and then suddenly your boss is like, well. Yeah, I'm really thankful for you, and um, you, your your review is great. And will you do uh, this, this, and this, and this? It's like, wow, um, you know, okay, you know. And then there's more and more and more. And so, uh, I think a lot of people have jobs like that, where the better job you do, the more work you get, and the, and you get paid just the same as everybody else. Um, but it's an opportunity to be like Jesus, right? That we're not we're not here on earth for us, right? That's part of denying ourselves. I'm not here for me. If, if it was all about me and how comfortable I would be, I would be gone already, right? I would be, like Paul says, I'd much rather be with Jesus. Um, it'd be far better. No more uh, pain, no more suffering. But I'm not here for me. I'm here to love others and to serve God. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to be going down sometimes even farther than you want to go. And so that might mean you offer to help somebody. And then it takes, uh, you all go over there and I'll help serve. And, and you expect to be there an hour and you're there five hours. You know? Or it might be something else. You know? Um, it might be that you confront somebody, which is, is love, right? You say, hey, this isn't right. You know, so, you know, that's going to be uncomfortable, right? You're going to go down the J-curve a little bit because it's not comfortable to talk to somebody about something. And then maybe it goes way deeper than you thought. It's like, wow, 
uh, I didn't expect it to be like this. And I didn't expect it to go deeper, <laughs> deeper, deeper, deeper. But you know, um, if you're doing it for Christ, he's there with you, he loves you, and he experienced the same thing. Um, sometimes, you know, your life, it's, you know, you might have something like this. You know, you have a, a J-curve like this. It's like, wow, I feel thankful. You know, I, I, I maybe you took a job that you knew was going to be hard. You have an opportunity to serve, and, and you felt like, wow, I'm thankful. You know, that it was hard, but in the end, you know, maybe one of the kids really received, you know, if you're a teacher or something, it was really difficult working with these difficult kids, but, you know, when one of the kids really latched on to truth, it's like, wow, that was so worth it. But then what happens, you know, a lot of times is you go through this little J-curve and God gives you an encouragement, like, that was hard, but, but he was with me and, and, and I can see the resurrection. Then suddenly you enter into another one that's like, whoa, <laughs> like... It's a way bigger J-curve. It's like, I thought that one was really like spiritual or something like that. This isn't what I expected. And that is kind of the pattern of our life. We have all these little J-curves over and over. And to see them in your day, you know, like see them each day, to see them in the big picture. But, you know, as you serve your kids, right, there's a denying yourself, right, every day. It's like, well, what do I want to do right now is usually not the same as, what would be best for my kids right now? Or what would be best for my wife right now? And um, when you get up at night, when you don't, you know, if you're like us, it's like, man, I used to have so much time to read. That's what we would do is like lay on the couch and read, you know, at the end of the day before we had kids. It's like starting to think like, man, I must have read most of the books I'm ever going to read already. <laughs> because... because we're, you know, we're going, and even when we get a full night's sleep, you know, it's like you're ready to go to bed at the end of the day. So, in all those ways, you're being like Jesus, right? You're like you're putting someone else before yourself. You're going down the J curve, but even as a parent, you see the little resurrections, right? You see your kids, um, even though they're not full grown, you see them receiving truth, or you see them um, at maturing, you know. And in ways that it's worth it. It's like, yeah, it was worth it. It was hard, but it was worth it uh, f- out of love. It was costly love. And so l- we look for these things. We look for ways to show grace. Um, if somebody uh, at work is mean to you, it's not natural to approach them, right? That's like a little dip in the J-curve. And then... and to initiate, you know, conversations with them, and then to be kind to them, or maybe even um, be extra kind to them as a result to try and show grace. You know, that's difficult. That's not what your flesh wants to do, but it's worth it. And we can trust that there will be, you know, a resurrection, that it's not worthless, that Jesus is there with us, and that's the reason we're here, is to live like Him. And, you know, it might be... Something you sacrifice, time, money, energy, um, pouring into somebody, or something. It might be just simply giving yourself. Paul says this, The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's Galatians 1. And then he says this, uh, for us, 
Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's like God gave himself and we should give ourselves. There might be people, well, one, husbands, you're called to give yourself to your wife. So that might mean what your wife needs is you just sit around and talk to her or spend time with her. And you're giving just what she needs is just you to be there and to be pouring in. That's self-giving. But there might be other people in your life, not just your wife. It might be there's people who are lonely, right? I bet you've met people around Kirksville who are happy to stand and talk to you longer than is like normal. And you and you think, well, maybe they just need somebody. Maybe they just need somebody to talk to. Maybe they're lonely. Especially with COVID, I noticed that. Like older people would see people out walking. It's like, want to talk. It's like, I bet they're just lonely. And one way we can be like Jesus is just give ourselves. It's like, here, here, I'll just stand here and talk to you. It's like, give ourselves when we can, when we see, especially uh, there's difficult things going on. You know, as again, just not teaching any, I'm not teaching anymore, but with kids, like needy kids, it's like they just want you to be there, to listen, to be interested, to talk to them. Ask them how their weekend was and things like that. Self-giving. There's plenty of opportunities for suffering, right? To suffer, to go down. It's like, this is, this hurts, this is hard. We don't have to go out looking for it. You can just see it in your life already as a Christian. You're, there's going to be natural opportunities. You know, I can look around here and I think about many of you, and again about work. There's been, I can look out and see a lot of people and just think of stories about you and your work that really fit this, right? It's like, I'm trying to do the right thing, and it's getting harder. It's not getting easier. And it's getting, I'm getting less, people are less happy with me that I'm doing the, you know, what I think is right and uh, doing the right thing. And it, you're going down. Um, whether that's being honest, saying, oh, I'm not going to do that, it's not ethical, or whether it's, who knows what it is. But for many of you, I, I can just even think about how being honest costs you, right? But we can... Um, we know there's going to be a resurrection. It's amazing how you're not looking to jump in. You're not looking to suffer, and yet in this world this happens. And to see Christ in it, to see not only that He's there with you, but He's forming you into His image. He wants you to be like Him. And it would have been easier, more comfortable, just for everything to go great all the time, but Jesus wants you to know Him in His sufferings, to be like Him, and to serve Him. And as we enter into these things, um, that's when we can, people can see Jesus in us more um, than if everything was going great. That's when we can be changed more into Jesus' likeness than if everything was going great all the time. And it might be sickness, like it was with um, Epaphroditus, or it might be obedience. It might be a thousand different things, but there's things in your life that are hard. And I just want you to take encouragement to see Christ is there with you and how you respond is, is important um, and He will help you to be like Him, to take up your cross every day. And as for me, you know, it helps me to think about these things just because If I don't remind myself, you know, regularly, basically every day, I start to think that everything should go right. That's how I just kind of naturally think. Like, 
things are going to go okay, everything's going to work, what I do is going to work, what, when I try something, it's going to succeed, and um, just get into this state where I really am surprised when things are hard or when um, there's suffering or difficulty or humbling. And so this is the shape of our, our life. You can really see, I mean, even repentance, although Jesus didn't repent, you know, he, he had no sin. You can see the repentance here. Like, repentance is kind of this shape too, right? It's like, it's hard. It's not easy to just admit, you know, you're wrong and, and confess that and ask for forgiveness and to, one, just to see it in yourself, but then to say it to God and to whoever else you need to say it to, it's like, you're going down. But it's so much better. It ends up a resurrection. There's forgiveness. There's life there. And this pattern is all over. Um, and I hope this is helpful to you, and I hope that we can um, be a church that is like this, you know, that maybe as we have meals, um, you know, we prayed in the past, like, bring in needy people. Bring in um, people with deep needs. And it's like, those aren't the kind of people that your flesh wants to be coming for meals, you know? It's like, what if they're awkward? Or what if um, they don't contribute? Or what if it just creates more work? Well, isn't that what we want? Like, don't we want needy people to be here? Like, that's it's going to be hard, but this we want to be like Jesus. We want to serve people that are needy. We want to love people even who don't love us back. And so there's just a lot of opportunities as a church, as individuals, as families to do, to do this, um, to be like Jesus. And I want to close with just one caveat. This, you know, Paul, Paul doesn't use this as, as a way to say the harder path or suffering is always the right way, right? So he's not always descending the J-curve. Um, he still has discernment. He's still praying. So there's times when he appeals to his Roman citizenship or to get out of prison and things like that where he could have just stayed in. We still need discernment. We still need the Spirit. Um, and there's going to be plenty of J-curves in your life, um, opportunities to humble yourself and suffer for others. Um, even if there's times when maybe something happens at work and you do defend yourself. Well, I, there's a reason I did this is because maybe you've got two boss. My other boss said to do that, you know, or whatever. It doesn't always mean choose suffering, but it does mean to be open to it. And so um, that's something different than our culture. So let's just pray and thank God and ask Him to help us. Lord, we just look to you. I pray this would be helpful to us in our daily life. We want to know you. We want to be like you. And we want to be with you. And we want to take up our cross every day and follow you. And we want to walk in love as you loved us and gave yourself for us. So we need help in it. And it's against our flesh to do these things. But we need you. And just ask that you'd be there with us and know that you will be. We do pray that you'd bring needy people into our life that we can serve and love, even if it's hard. We pray for our church that we would be, um, there would be needy people coming in um, that we could love and serve. 
pray you give us the right attitude. We want to rejoice um, in opportunities to serve you and, and love others even when it's hard. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for being willing to become a man at all and die for us at all so that we could see what love, the shape of love is and what it looks like. We ask these things in your name. Amen.